Howdy, Green Rush Nation. Producer Shake Hunter here with a quick programming note. Since it's the July 4th holiday week, we're running an episode from the archives so as to give everyone here at the Green Rush the time and space to relax. So enjoy. Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Ann and Nick are back with a new episode with special guest John Mazarikis, co-founder and chairman at Chicago Atlantic, a market-leading publicly traded commercial mortgage REIT, utilizing significant real estate, credit, and cannabis experience to originate senior secured loans, primarily to state-licensed cannabis operators in limited licensed states in the U.S., John co-leads Chicago Atlantic as part of a three-person team that includes Tony Capel, Chief Executive Officer and Director, and Andreas Bodmir, Co-President, Chief Investment Officer and Director. In this episode, our hosts explore how one of the largest lenders in the cannabis industry considers and de-risks lending. John also walks us through Chicago Atlantic's business model, competitive edges, and how his team is experiencing significant growth despite industry uncertainty. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with John Mazerkis of Chicago Atlantic. All right, today we're speaking with John Mazarakis of Chicago Atlantic. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, before we jump into to talking about Chicago Atlantic, can you give our listeners some some background on you? We know that you've got some uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial endeavors from your past that ultimately led you to the cannabis space. So uh, let us know, what what is your background? Sure thing, Nick. Um, and thank you for having me on, on, uh, on the podcast. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, I started my, my business right out of college. Um, it was a single restaurant in the suburbs of Baltimore with three other partners. Uh, we ended up growing pretty much exponentially to a multi-unit operation, uh, spanning across four states, uh, and we ended up with 1,500 employees. Uh, I call that my first MBA, uh, so um, I learned a lot. Uh, it was an amazing journey, but as Probably most people know because about a third of you know the country has worked at a restaurant at some point in their lives. Working at a restaurant is a brutal endeavor. And you know, I have a lot of respect for my past colleagues and everyone that I had worked with, but I was on a mission around 2017 to find an industry that sort of has less competition, uh, an industry that is uncorrelated. And um, Hopefully, an industry that has some tailwinds that you know don't require the the effort and the, the vesting that the the restaurant industry uh, sort of required, uh, and that it was when my partner, my current partner at the fund, Tony Capo, uh, brought up cannabis. Uh, so we thought about it for a while. It, it sort of checks all the boxes, or at least we think it does. And so we, we went all in, uh, Tony Capo, my partner um, who has the lending background and Andreas Bodmeier, uh, who uh, was actually our uh, TA at the University of Chicago, getting his PhD. 
uh, we partnered up together. Uh, as I said, we went all in and we decided that we're going to build the best debt fund in the cannabis space. And the rest is history. So you went from restaurants to debt funding. Correct. And, you know, I know it sounds a little bit, you know, uh, cheeky, um, but growing a business is growing a business, regardless of the industry. Uh, You kind of follow the same process and you kind of follow the same values. Um, You need to be focused. You need to be somewhat tenacious uh, and you need to be disciplined. And um, I think we we kind of check all those boxes. Uh, plus, we we work really well together. Um, and so I took the lessons from the the restaurant industry. And uh, as long as you love what you do, I think um, you're you're bound to succeed. Uh, and picking the, the the right industry, of course, is very important. So I think we picked well. I actually think it is interesting. Uh, I've never thought about the correlation between the between um, restaurants and um, and cannabis, but there is something um, like like you said, building a business is building a business. But there is something. There's a unique passion in both. Um, in both industries, you know, like I don't, uh, I, I also worked as a server and a bartender and I loved it. Um, you know, and it is a, un- a very unique space and all of the restaurateurs I knew are such passionate, singularly focused people, um, that absolutely love what they do. And it is very similar to the cannabis industry because neither of those industries are for the faint of heart. Um, they are tough, break your back, you know, the industries. And if you can survive in one, I can definitely see how you could survive in the, in the other. So, um, I think that is really interesting to think about. I've never, I've never thought of it that way before. Um, but before we go too much further, so, so tell us exactly what is Chicago Atlanta? So Chicago Atlantic is a direct lending fund uh, that has sort of three components that we lend from. Uh, there is a, a, a publicly traded mortgage REIT uh, that accounts for a third of uh, the loans that we've originated and closed. Uh, there is the private fund, which is um, the other third. And then we extend for diversification purposes, we extend the option to our LPs um, to co-invest alongside our vehicles. So that's how we get to about a billion dollars in loans closed since we started. And what sets you guys different apart from, you know, other lenders in the space? Um, So I think we're unique in the sense that we're three founders um, and we follow sort of a democratic process. Um, The three of us could not have been any different. So my background is, you know, obviously the restaurant business, retail, uh, real estate. And then Tony's background is is traditional lending. He's done over $4 billion in in, uh, loans as a chief credit officer or, or you know, a, a head underwriter in, in several firms. And then Andreas Bodmeier, he brings an institutional perspective to the firm. Um, he is a research machine um, and he has experience in lending as well with a focus in litigation finance. So think about the process. We are the investment committee. Think of our diverse backgrounds and think of the process of actually approving a, an investment. Um, it, it is it is strenuous. It is lengthy, and I think that is why we're we're good stewards of capital. No one likes to lose, and that is why we have zero payment defaults to date. Um, I think it's you know our backgrounds and the way we look at things 
Uh, what I, you know, what I tend to accept sometimes, my two other partners would reject, and vice versa. So that sort of distills, you know, the the entire universe of opportunities that we have, and and brings it down to the forty some loans that that we've actually closed. Um, and it, it's it's a, I love the process. Um, I, as I like to say, I haven't worked a day in my life because I always love the process. I love what I do. And um, th that's sort of how we got here. That's what I think differentiates us. How much have you guys lent so far? Um, we've lent a little over a billion dollars and our pipeline currently is about 600 million. Uh, so the opportunity is vast and the, the only constraint here is, is just you know, the process and, and sorting through all the, the operators and, and the capital tends to be a little more difficult to find in cannabis just because institutional <laughs> investors are not participating. Just a little, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I have to imagine that, um, you know, because of that constraint um, that, that people are knocking down your door, um, you know, are you finding that you have to tell a lot of people no? Yes. Uh, we do. We have a very strict underwriting process. Um, we start with the state, which eliminates a ton of deal flow. Um, we don't necessarily, you know, we, we like to focus east of the Mississippi in states that have limited um, license environments. Um, we're not set on never, you know, funding a loan in California or, or Colorado or, or Washington State or um, Oregon, it's just that we're very, very picky uh, in the process and no operator has really checked all the boxes so far. We've looked at hundreds of deals um, out west, but we haven't been able to, to close um, anything meaningful to what we've done in the east. So state tends to be the number one. We have four sort of important underwriting parameters. The second one is we prefer the medical states, um, slightly prefer the, the medical states versus the uh, recreational, simply because um, there's this tailwind. Uh, we like to invest in a, in a company that is in the medical state as the state transition to recreational, because that improves the top line some, somewhere in the order of 3x to 10x. Um, depending on the states that we've seen through that transition. And um, the, the second reason is, the one reason is clearly like the top line. The second reason, there's an overall sort of focus on that state when that happens. And the credit worthiness, the overall credit worthiness of our borrower improves. So there is some strategy behind it. Um, and then of course, cash flow is king, as they say. I would say, you know, the third, most important element is cash flow. Uh, not that I'm ranking them in, in any specific order, they're all equally important, um, but th having the ability to repay a loan is, is just as important as anything else when you're, when you're underwriting a deal. And we, we focus a lot on that. And then finally, I would say asset coverage, you know, that loan to value that we hear um, is extremely important to us. Currently, our blended loan to value is under 50%. And uh, we, we, we like to be conservative. We like to keep it at that range. 
Let's expand on that because I think that's really interesting that you guys are, are focusing east of the Mississippi. And so I want to get your perspective a little bit more on, on certain state markets. Um, we're recording this episode on, on March 16th. And, and this morning you guys announced um, um, that you're going to be funding uh, an operation out in Florida. Can you talk about that deal? Yes. Um, so as I mentioned, Florida sort of checks the boxes that I mentioned earlier as a state that it has a robust, maybe the best medical um, uh, market in, in the country. Um, this particular operator, I think, um, will do really well. Um, they, they own their own facility, which is uh, a huge plus. Uh, so from an asset coverage perspective, we're more than covered. Uh, they, they have a stellar plan to, um, to, to how to expand in, in the state. And um, we, we really love the team. So um, it's, you know, the state is right. It's medical. Um, the asset coverage is there. And I think it's just a, a matter of, um, of time before they, they can uh, just sort of knock it out of the park. I think that's going to be a very strong borrower. Yeah, I think everybody is really waiting for that Florida market to to really just take off um, once they uh, they see some more reform down there. Um, another market that I want to touch on that I, I'm not sure if you have any investment currently in, but has been getting a lot of talk, especially, you know, we have hosts here that are from New Jersey. And it, it looks <laughs> yes, as we do. <laughs> the, the, the one right and here. only Ann Donahoe. <laughs> but there's a lot of talk and, and excitement around the New Jersey market. I think there's a lot of companies that are fingers crossed. March 24th is looking like a date we might see um, that recreational market finally open up. How are you evaluating New Jersey right now? Well, based on our underwriting parameters, I mean, that is the optimal state for us. That's exactly where we want to be uh, right now. Um, there were 10 licenses uh, awarded in right around the, the fall. I think it was probably October. Uh, we've talked to every single one of the operators that received the license. Uh, we're hoping to be able to work with a couple. Uh, I think it, it opens a huge opportunity, not just for us, but for our peer group. It's great for cannabis. It's great for um, a lender. Um, we, we feel that New Jersey will be one of the, the, the best states, um, and it will ramp up fast. Uh, we're happy that they've, they've announced the 24th, but you know, I'm holding my breath because they've announced things before. And you never, you never know. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, just, you know, we don't want to say hope before we jump, but I think, uh, New Jersey, um, you know, being also an extension of the New York market is positioned to, to absolutely kill it. And I think the, um, the regulators are making the right decision because it will bring enormous revenue, um, much needed revenue, I would say, uh, given our times to, um, to the state. So uh, I'm very bullish um, and, and look forward to working with anyone that wants to work with us that has operations in the state. Well, this question may be now obsolete, but I read um, based on March 24th, but I read that you've said Virginia might surprise everyone and go wreck before Maryland or New Jersey. Anything you want to share there about that statement? 
Um, you know, Virginia was was kind of hitting the accelerator the accelerator for a while there, and you know they they sort of um, had a, a little more of a liberal approach to cannabis, um, but it looks like a longer path forward now. Um, it, it, but again, regulators can surprise you from one day to the next. Um, I, I think it's a great market. I think it's a super limited environment. And again, it would be a market that we would love to, to work with someone uh, in. Uh, we, did, we did work with, uh, with an operator early on, um, a, a wonderful operator um, called G-Leaf. Uh, they were bought by uh, Columbia Care and they had an incredible operation in, um, in the state. So um, we, we love the state and, you know, I, I guess I can say that I was wrong. <laughs> well, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> I think everybody, <laughs> nobody is right when it comes to this stuff or if they are, they're lying to you. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about, um, you, you guys have been in business since 2018? That's right. Okay, so that's, a long time in cannabis years. Are there any like lessons that you've learned or anything you wish you knew in 2018 that you know now that you would like counsel your younger self? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, obviously hindsight is 2020. Um, it, I'm not sure that we would change anything um, going forward. One thing, you know, I would say, and I, I think it's okay to say it publicly, is early on we did a um, we did Verano's like first real debt without any warrants, and we were so conservative. Uh, literally, you know, it was a thirty million dollar facility to Verano, currently like a three billion dollar company, and what what I, you know the lesson is sometimes. And I say this jokingly, not that I'm I'm very risk averse because I've made my my money in, in a very very tough environment, uh, literally counting the pennies because the pennies matter in the restaurant space. But when we came across Verano, we were so conservative. We could have been a little more um, aggressive on certain things, maybe advance a little more, or you know, just extend ourselves a little more. Uh, which would have been fun and rewarding. And as I like to say now, uh, when, I, when I speak uh, in a public event or when I'm talking with the team, um, you, you, you want to assess the risk return. And with the time that you're making the investment, you'll never, you'll never feel comfortable. But try to mitigate the risk only to the extent that it makes sense and don't go overboard uh, because then you're just leaving money on the table. That's, that's sort of uh, the lesson of the past uh, because the deals that we picked were so good and the credit worthiness was so amazing. G-Leaf and Verano were like our first two deals. The one company went public and is worth $3 billion. The other one was bought by Columbia Care for like half a billion dollars. Uh, so it, it was just a blessing to just be around this amazing industry that is growing by leaps and bounds. I want to shift focus a little bit and, and you know, look at some of the trends that you guys are finding in the industry. You know, you, you're 
looking at a lot of really, you know, interesting markets. And so I'm wondering, are there are there any specific things that you're following or you expect to see from the cannabis industry in 2022? Well, the, you know, the elephant in the room is the lack of federal legalization. Um, that's sort of what the, the entire world expected. Um, after and slightly before actually the election, you saw that in the uptick of, of the equities. But now we see the, uh, the aftermath of uh, sort of a, you know, a slow moving, massive federal government that cannot possibly make cannabis a priority, which I, I understand it's, you know, it, 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 is, it is not a priority and we have to live with it. But that is sort of something that we have to deal with in the short term. Um, I think in the long term, you know, legalization will happen, capital will find a way, the industry will mature, and it will be it will be a completely different sort of story. But right now, there is a there is a malaise in 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 the public markets um, that we all have to kind of uh, deal with. And from our perspective, we are debt holders. It's not as impactful as it is uh, to those equity holders that are holding the stock. Um, and it actually makes our debt relatively um, inexpensive when compared to the equity uh, because we're totally undiluted. So that's sort of how I see the, the short the short run. That's that's the biggest headwind, I think. Do you think there could be any, you know, momentum to see change there? I know that safe banking has been had been talked about for a long time. We've seen Republicans talking about the Moore Act um, as something that they might uh, be be interested in. I know and then the rumor is that Schumer is gonna introduce legislation on or around four twenty that would, you know, potentially get things rolling. Are you at all, you know, bullish on that do you think that that might actually actually happen or do we you foresee a, a continuation of this slow moving process again i don't have a crystal ball and i, I know i'm going to be wrong for the 10th time <laughs> uh, so that's fine i can deal with that um i i think there won't be any relief um in the next 12 months uh not before the midterm election um there needs to be sort of a, a new approach to cannabis. Uh, I think the SAFE Act is more likely to be the next outcome. I think it will help everyone, including ourselves. It will improve everyone's creditworthiness. Therefore, you know, our, our portfolio will shine. Our risk return is going to be phenomenal. Um, but I just don't expect it to happen in the next 12 months. Well, I was actually going to ask how how safe banking, uh, the passage of safe banking or safe banking plus equity or whatever whatever it's going to be, that doesn't directly affect your, I mean, does it directly affect your, affect your business? Does it open up the floodgates for more people who are, who wouldn't be deemed credit worthy to become credit worthy? So that's a great question. Obviously, you know, and, and it goes back to the story and why we started in cannabis. We don't want, um, we, we really don't want to uh, shed a negative light onto a, a, a piece of legislation like the SAFE Act. It, it is very, very important to, for the message to be very clear, we're welcoming 
that change. Um, having said that, that brings more competition in the space on the lending side. And we are currently, and, and thankfully, you know, we're well positioned, uh, we're currently working to mitigate that change in the space. And how are we planning to mitigate it? We are planning on number one being the largest, having a very you know robust market share, and then we want to work. We want to be the recipients of that relief in the sense of leverage. Right now, we're pretty much totally unlevered, which is unheard of for a REIT. Um, and once legalization actually sort of occurs, or the relief of the Safe Act, the the capital coming into the space will will first come to us. I don't think Wells Fargo or Bank of America will start lending directly to operators. I think we will be the beneficiaries of that first capital that comes in the space. That will lower our cost of capital and maintain, and we will be able to maintain the same spread. I think that is sort of how we're forecasting that that change in you know from an illicit state to a to a more sort of um, accepted state at the institutional level. Um, more capital, I think overall will be will be a plus. And then we'll just leverage our brand and our expertise to be sort of experts in the space. That's the vision that we have. And of course, we will extend right now, mortgages are pretty much the only tool that you can finance a company and and maybe there is some cash flow lending going on i think we can expand that menu and uh and sort of include other more mainstream uh ways to to provide debt um but that that is to come we've talked very macro um you know and and like hypothetical uh but let's drill down to the you know q2 q3 of the rest of this year uh what are you guys focusing on well um growth is super important to us um we have committed to not raising equity until we we raise another uh, nice chunk of debt and by nice chunk of debt i mean we have to raise a half a turn of leverage for our fund so that is that has been our main focus so it's a, it's a combination of, of cheaper debt capital um, paired with um, with constant and robust originating and underwriting, and I think I think we're already you know well on our way uh, in doing so. John, I'm real interested in your perspective on the on this question. It's one that we ask uh, all of our lists, all of our uh, interviewers that that come and join us on here. But you know, I'm particularly interested in what what you're going to say here. But is there one story or one issue within the cannabis industry that you feel is not being covered enough? Is there like if you were going to open up the the New York Times or the Miami Herald tomorrow morning and on the A1, what would that story you would want to see being told? I love that question. So I I think we're not celebrating the industry enough from the point of fundamentals and size. This is a hundred billion dollars of known retail demand. Only 25 million of that hundred billion, only 25 billion is legally represented at the state level. So just on the retail side, not 
including the compounding of the effect of the industry, which some people say it's, it's as much as 300 billion with its ancillary benefits. Just on the retail side, we're talking about a market that is $100 billion that can really benefit the state and the federal government from a perspective of tax proceeds. Um, you, can, you can really put that money to good work. And the, the thing that saddens me personally, and um, you know, I, I say it all the time, there is, there is zero focus on the fact that the product is being sold anyway. You know it's 100 billion. It's sold in the gray market and it's sold in the black market. Why not just legalize the process and, and regulate it and, and create those jobs and, and, and benefit both the state and the federal government? That's, that's sort of the story that I'd like to see more highlighted out there. I have a question that was not on the um, on the agenda, and you do not need to answer this. I just kind of popped into my head. Um, you are of Greek descent, right? I, I'd like to say that I'm an American. You're okay, <laughs> but um, I'm curious to see to. to and I love this country, Anne. So don't. don't oh no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm just curious as to um, how cannabis is thought of in Greece and how if, do you, do you have family back there? I do not. Okay. Uh, my, my family lives in Baltimore. Okay. Um, however, I, I am, I had limited knowledge of the, uh, the cannabis uh, environment in Greece, just because we, we read and we follow the European developments because we want to be eventually in the European market. We want to have a presence. We're not ruling it out. It's not like we have some, de facto plan on doing so. Right now, we're just lending, I know just wanna make it clear, we're just lending within the US and possibly Canada, even though we've never done a loan in Canada. But Greece is an interesting space because it sort of mirrors California and everyone says that Californian climate is very um, conducive to growing good cannabis. Wine um, and weed, baby. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, and Greece uh, has that sort of Mediterranean climate. So I think Greece uh, will flourish. And, you know, and the government has been very proactive and has pushed cannabis forward. I think there are five licenses right now that have been issued. Um, and there are a couple indoor cultivation facilities that have started going up. So um, it's, it's a, I think it's going to be one of those markets that you can have indoor, outdoor, or hybrid. And um, they're, they're, they're gonna be selling through a different model um, through the pharmacies, but that is, that is very similar to how Germany has approached it in other, in other European countries. Okay. Just interesting to see kind of what the, the differences are and, and even in um, stigma or perception i just I, being so stuck in america like i just feel like it's the stigma is still so heavy here um at times and i didn't know if it was a similar in in greece well you know there are definitely conservative elements in in both societies and there are liberal elements in both societies i think i think cannabis has been embraced um of course nothing will ever be embraced 100 percent it's just the nature of the beast. Um, but I think, you know, Greece 
is, is part of this Western thought that has embraced cannabis in about 60 to 70 percent of the, about 60 percent of the population at least, uh, has, has embraced the idea of selling cannabis in some, in some legal form. There's a lot of money to be made, so yeah. <laughs> they should embrace it. Um, yeah. John, thank you so much for your time. Um, this has been really, really interesting. So um, where can people find the REIT? Uh, you guys are publicly traded on the NASDAQ. Want to plug the ticker? Yeah, the ticker symbol is REFI, which kind of blows my mind that no one has taken it. <laughs> that is a great ticker, yes. R-E-F-I. Pretty easy to remember. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you both. Thanks again to John Mazarakis, co-founder and chairman at Chicago Atlantic, for joining us. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit chicagoatlantic.com. Or if you're interested in following the REIT specific, you can go to refi.reit. Um, once again, thanks for listening to The Green Rush. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore Green Rush, Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. You can email Ann and I directly by reaching out to us at greenrush at kcsa.com and make sure that you're following us on your social channels and, uh, you know, subscribing to the Green Rush and your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take.